This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Do schools provide the best education possible for children? My guest today believes schools are the greatest barrier to education. Simon Springer is an associate professor in the Department of Geography at the University of Victoria, Canada. He advocates and practices with his children a concept he calls unschooling, but which also goes by the more popular name, de-schooling. His research agenda explores the political, social, and geographical exclusions that neoliberalism has engendered, particularly in the context of contemporary Cambodia, where he emphasizes the role of violence and power. He cultivates a cutting-edge theoretical approach to his scholarship by foregrounding both post-structuralist critique and a radical revival of anarchist philosophy. In today's show, Simon discusses his new co-edited volume, The Radicalization of Pedagogy, Anarchism, Geography, and the Spirit of Revolt. Before starting the show, I want to apologize for the high-pitched sound that you'll hear throughout the interview. Since this is a no-budget show, that doesn't record in professional sound studios, sometimes these technical problems happen. I'm sorry for the inconvenience, but I decided to play the interview as is because Simon's ideas are worth considering. Simon Springer, welcome to Fresh Ed. In your new co-edited volume, you call for the idea of de-schooling. What what is de-schooling? What do you mean by this? Yeah, I, I mean, we're actually, uh, I have two edit- co-editors along with me, Marcelo Lopez de Souza. Uh, he's from the Federal University of Rio in Brazil, and Richard J. White, who is from Sheffield Hallam University in the UK. And we're just thinking through um, some of the possibilities of anarchism and its relationship to geography. And going back to the early anarchists and anarchist geographers in particular, they had a a very keen interest in in pedagogy Um, and it's something that's been at the root of anarchist philosophy since its inception so we started to think about this idea and um, really just moving through some of the existing literature and and trying to find out how it resonates um, with contemporary anarchist thought and historical anarchist thought as well and just coming upon uh, people like Ivan Illich in particular and his idea of de-schooling, which of course he um, uh, articulates through his uh, quite well-known book, De-schooling Society. And we, we kind of pick it up from there and, uh, and thinking through, you know, what are, what are the ongoing implications of that? I can't remember when that book came out. I think it was the the, I think 71? Yeah, so the early 70s. But, um, I mean, it's been, it's been taken up in various forms, obviously, and Illich has been um, quite influential. But uh, within geographic, contemporary geographical scholarship, he hasn't been, you know, at the, at the forefront of thinking about pedagogies as you might expect him to be. So trying to think of how we could incorporate that into... Um, how we were thinking about anarchism and how we were thinking about geography in particular. And uh, really, I mean, our view of de-schooling, I mean, for me personally in particular, I think about unschooling rather than de-schooling, um, just removing the, the idea of school altogether. And really, in a sense, that's what Illich is, is asking for as well. But in terms of my own 
views on pedagogy, I, I kind of advocate for an unschooling approach, which really is just, uh, some people don't like this word, they get uh, a little bit um, thrown off by it, that gasp, unschooling, what could that mean? But it really is just a, a learner, a, a learner-centered approach. So in terms of how I teach my own children and, and the kind of uh, view on education that my partner and I have taken, it really is just a child-led learning approach. Do you send your children to the institution of public schooling? We don't. Uh, our kids are at home, and I mean, they have various programs that they that they go to throughout the week. They've got a a biology buddies class, and they go to a crafty class where they make crafts and things. They've got a gymnastics class that they attend, and that sort of thing. But otherwise, most of the days are spent, um, you know, hanging out. We live in Victoria. Uh, BC, Canada, so the west coast of Canada, and it's uh, a beautiful uh, natural environment. So when it's not raining, a lot of time outdoors, just exploring and going for walks, and you know, learning learning through the soles of your feet, which is the the name of the uh, of my chapter in the book. And um, go, we spend a lot of time at the library and and just getting out books. Uh, my kids are voracious readers, and uh, it's just kind of letting them explore their interests and, and go with the things that they're most uh, keen on learning about. And, and then my partner, of course, I'm, you know, I work for the University of Victoria and I'm not home with them all day, but my partner, she spends uh, the necessary time investigating, you know, if, if the kids are interested in one particular theme, she tries to learn as much as she can about that theme so she can help facilitate um, you know, the learning that, that the children want to engage as well. So you're saying that your children get to decide the direction of their education? Yeah, there's no, there's no curriculum. Um, we just, you know, we, we learn math by counting rocks on the beach. And, uh, you know, the kids, they, they intuitively pick these things up, right? The, the things that they're interested in. So, I mean, for us right now, uh, and for a long time, it's been it's been reading, right? And so, the interests shift and turn. Right now, uh, my son is really interested in the Legend of Zelda and the mythology that goes behind those games, uh, the Nintendo games, games that I played when I was a kid. And now he's interested in those, but not just playing the video game, but also reading the various uh, comic books and, and novels that have been uh, associated with that video game and really digging into that. So uh, just exploring through his imagination at this point. And yeah, in terms of, I mean, in terms of other interests, um, we really see our role as parents is just to provide them the kind of, you know, here's the range of opportunities and things that you uh, could potentially explore and be interested in and really let the, the children decide where their interests lay. And that, over time, that uh, that shifts and turns. Uh, so I've said what my oldest son is interested in. My daughter is, she's not uh, quite as into reading as my son, in, right? my son is. Uh, she's more into working with her hands and exploring her, uh, you know, who she is and what she's all about through art and uh, sewing in particular. She takes a, my partner and I don't know how to sew, so she, we've sought out somebody who is, uh, you know, who, who sews and uh, 
she's taking a, a class with her and, and finding out, you know, the basics of sewing. And um, when she's at home with us, she's we bought her a sewing machine for, for Christmas this past year. And she spends a lot of time just sitting on her sewing machine and, you know, making making clothes for her stuffed animals. And she's made some shirts for her brothers and things like that. And she just, you know, goes for it. Do you... Do you ever feel anxious about the lack of structure? So, like, public school provides a, a level of structure in, in families' lives. The children wake up and go to school. The parents can work. You know, the parents don't have to worry about where their kids are. The kids aren't allowed to sleep in. And, you know, and there's this level of, uh, I guess, security in, in the structure that exists in the institution of schooling. Do you, do you ever feel anxious that you don't have that? Uh, I don't I don't ever feel anxious about structure itself. I mean the structure of schooling is a structure that's designed to suit capitalism, right? That's the the history the history of schooling as an institution is is effectively, you know, the uh um uh the sort of kindergarten if you will for the industrial worker. So coming out of of the experience of industrialization where you have to have uh, you know, uh, a particular class of workers involved in the functioning of capitalism, the school is sort of the breeding ground for um, that sort, sort of temporal limitation on people's time. So effectively getting children ready to be proper workers within a capitalist system. And that's something that, you know, has, has never sit well with me. Um, I don't think that our, our tempo, temporality should be uh, constrained around the idea of work itself, right? That there's more to life than that. And certainly, if, you know, I, I'm a wage slave, if you will. I work for the university and, and you know, uh, we require my wage to actually live in the world. But my partner is at, at home with, with the children and um, their days are spent, you know, the kids get up when they get up and they if they have particular activities in the morning or whatever, obviously there's mornings. You know, yesterday morning, my uh, daughter, for example, had a, a ballet rehearsal, dress rehearsal for a, um, a performance that she's doing later this week. And so we had to get up really early. And uh, But those are, are rare days. And, you know, the kids don't mind on those days. But, yeah, I mean, we have different uh, circadian rhythms, right? My my daughter gets up early every single day, and as do I. And my partner and my two sons, they tend to sleep in a little bit more. And, and so that means they're up a little bit later at night. And we just follow those sort of bodily patterns uh, for the children anyway. I'm not... For myself, you know, again, I'm I'm working within the capitalist system, so I'm not able to do that like they are. But just allow them to follow those body rhythms and and um, let that be part of the experience of, of life itself, right? And so in terms of the that kind of structure, I've never worried about that. I mean, sometimes I, I have my anxieties because the, the main discourse in society is that kids need to be in school, right? And that right. Uh, this is, you know, there is no future without school. So it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing struggle to sort of um, relax a little bit and, and realize that kids can make it, right? When I think about my education experience growing up, um, you know, now I'm a professor. It's the last thing when I was in high school that I ever aspired to be or thought I would do as a as a career. And uh, 
it's because I didn't get a lot of value out of my schooling experience that, you know, part of the value was socialization. And so there's always this sort of, uh, I don't have so much of an anxiety, but society has this anxiety. Well, how will the kids socialize? And I can answer that in a moment. But um, in terms of, you know, the curriculum and the content, there's nothing that I learned in school. I don't think that I could have, couldn't have learned just through living life itself. And I see that, you know, manifesting in my children. They've learned how to read without school. They're learning math without school. They, um, you know, they're learning what they need to know at this time in their life. And mostly what I think children need to know, um, you know, uh, up until, uh, up until they're, of the teenage years at least is that they need to learn how to play right that this is uh, a critically undervalued um, concept within uh, North American society anyways that there's just not enough time for kids to play freely and explore and and uh, what's the value of play well the value of play um, I think is just I mean, it's intuitive, right? All all creatures on on Earth uh, play in to some extent, right? That uh, you can, well, in mammals, anyways, you can see play as a, a very prevalent feature of the experience of of mammals. But without wanting to make a socio-biological argument, because I don't want to go there, the value of play is just the the sort of free exploration that children learn boundaries. They learn. They learn that social interaction with other individuals, whether it's siblings or, or not, and they uh, they learn you know various skills through that. That that uh, I don't think we need to to quantify necessarily what those skills are, but they they learn you know how to be in the world and how to explore different ideas. I mean the games and 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 sort of themes that my children come up with from day to day. It's a a wide range of things, right? Anything from I mean, sometimes to to my chagrin, I suppo- suppose it's uh, even learning modes of capitalism. They they set up a a little lemonade stand in front of the house and hope to get you know some money from that or whatever. And and other times it's uh, I mean, yesterday they were fighting off zombies and things like that. So it's like a free exploration of of their imagination. But um, other times it's um, you know the 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 messages behind that is interaction and and a exploring their bodies for one and the limitations like climbing trees right what what do we get out of climbing trees well sometimes you get a broken arm if you fall but you also learn the limits of of uh what's possible for you right so the value of that we might we might take that only as a physical but that comes into uh, it plays into the psychology of a child as well, right? Of what, what they're actually capable of and, and, and what they can do in their lives. So building confidence and, yeah. So turn to the socialization issue. Yeah, I mean, the socialization issue, there is this idea that, uh, that unschooled kids or homeschooled kids that, I mean, there is this you know, uh, that, that, that they're not getting the socialization that they need. And there's this prevalent sort of um, caricature of homeschooled and unschooled kids that they're, you know, uh, weird as a result and, and unable to, you know, just uh, social misfits or what have you. But um, 
I mean, it's just not accurate at all. And uh, here in Victoria, anyways, there's quite a large homeschooling uh, community. There's not so many unschoolers. There are some, other than my family, but there's a very large unschooling community or homeschooling community. And I mean, my kids have a, a really big social network of other kids that they they play with on a regular basis. Um, lots of play dates, and uh, you know that. Are involved in some of the uh, the same activities, whether it's ballet or crafty class or gymnastics or whatever it might be. Uh, so there's those kinds of opportunities for socialization. But the other thing that's problematic about school is, uh, and the institution of schooling, is this assumption that it's only other children that children should be socializing with. So what the experience of most schooled children is is they are divided into cohorts of, of children who are all the same age and that's their socialization group, right? They get the, the one or two teachers who they interact with and, and sometimes there's some cross-pollination between uh, various grade levels, but for the most part it's like your group of friends and, and your group of peers are this single cohort of individuals all the same age and I think that's uh, in some ways, I think that's a deprivation of the kinds of socialization that exist in the world after you exit schooling, right? Because not everybody is is uh, the same as you or gone through the, the same sort of experience and the, is of the same age that um, it, it limits the, the kind of social interaction that you can engage with. So when you're, a, you know, so my kids aren't in school, they are, you know, they just living through the day as as, uh, as a reality of the needs that we have, right? So sometimes it's going shopping and that means interacting with people at the grocery store and uh, whatever it might be. It's a, a range of individuals that they're socializing with rather than just other, uh, other children the same age. And within the um, homeschooling and unschooling group here in, in Victoria, um, you know, the kids play together. It's no, uh, they don't discriminate based on, you know, my youngest son is four and my, my daughter is the oldest in, of my children and she's nine and they play together quite happily. There's no, you know, you're too young to play with us sort of thing. And their group of friends, you know, range from, uh, you know, I mean, my kids are quite happy to play with, with one and two year olds as well, but anywhere up to, you know, they play with uh, 12 year olds as well, and there's no sort of uh, limitation on, on, on age there. In, in school, though, don't students and children interact with teachers? Yeah, of course, they interact with teachers, but there's, you know, one, one teacher for 30 students sort of thing, and there's that one individual is, is, kind of the only person, the only adult that they're engaging with throughout the day, right? Whereas my kids are, you know, it's going uh, grocery shopping or going in and uh, to the various activities that they're, that they're doing throughout the day, that there's much more opportunities for them to engage with a variety of different ages and people from different backgrounds and that sort of thing than there is within the context of school. So, I mean, there are you know, there's, there's, uh, I guess from my perspective, it's, it's just not a concern, right? The idea of socialization. I mean, human beings are social creatures and, uh, that's what we do every day. There's a, an opportunity for socialization, right? Whether it's just within, 
within the family itself if it's a really rainy day and we happen to be staying home well there's you know the socialization taking there as of course there is within the context of school or if we're out uh, as my children are you know on non-rainy days just within the community then there's lots of opportunities for socialization so it's something that's I think just inherently part of the human experience and not something that um, needs to be worried about too much. Right. School doesn't have a monopoly on socialization. So what's the difference between homeschooling, de-schooling, and unschooling? Because we're kind of throwing those terms around without necessarily... Because you, you purposely say you are unschooling. So what is the difference between unschooling and homeschooling? Yeah, homeschooling, I mean, it, there's, there's, there's shades and degrees to all of these things, right? That homeschooling, there's not just one version of it. And unschooling as well, there's not one version of that. I mean, there's some people who call themselves just unschoolers. And there's others who like the, the term radical unschooling, right? Uh, and within homeschooling, there's a whole spectrum there as well that some people um, very distinctly might follow a curriculum um, and it might be, you know, the exact sort of same uh, temporal process as regular school, except that it's happening at home. In other words, you're getting up and, and you know, your day begins at, at 9 a.m. and you're studying at home with your, with your mom and dad or, or whoever until... Um, 3 p.m. or whenever school goes out and other other homeschoolers you know might loosely follow a curriculum I mean among our our group of friends there is a a spectrum as well that people are engaging the idea of homeschooling in different ways and uh, as well with um, unschooling again this spectrum that some people are absolutely no curriculum I mean I've said that you know we we send our my daughter goes to a sewing class and the kids go to a, a bio, you know, the younger ones, they call it biology buddies. And for the older ones, they've, they redub it homeschool science. So they go to, they go to those sorts of classes, which are more sort of formalized. Um, and some unschoolers might reject the idea of, of these types of classes at all. Right. Um, and I mean, for, for radical unschoolers, I think it extends to things like no set bedtimes and just letting the children completely decide when they, when they go to bed and that sort of thing. And I mean, uh, you know, my partner and I like to have a bit of time for ourselves in the evening, so we, we still have bedtimes for the kids. And they're not uh, hard and fast bedtimes, they're flexible, but, uh, you know, there are certain... Uh, there comes a point where we'd actually like them to be in bed, but um, the difference then between unschooling and homeschooling is really just around curriculum, that unschooling in general just doesn't follow a curriculum, and it's, again, really just another word for, for ch uh, child-led learning, allowing the, the child to decide where their interests lay, and um, uh, as facilitators of that, just providing them the range of opportunities that exist and, and showing them... Uh, various things through, you know, throughout the day and throughout the course of their, their childhood of here's, here's something you could be interested in. And if that interest really starts to take off, then nurturing that. And if that interest sort of wanes, then, well, that's okay, because there's another interest to replace it sort of thing. Does British Columbia have a mandated examination, school examination? 
No, it's very, I mean, BC is probably one of the easiest places in the world to actually be a, an unschooler or a homeschooler. That uh, it's, uh, I mean, in Canada, um, education is the domain of the province rather than the federal government. And within BC in particular, there's a whole lot of flexibility and freedom for parents to decide on the, the process of their, of their children's own education. So for us, we do have to register with a school. So our kids are, are technically registered in school, but all that means is that uh, um, for us anyways, I think it's a, a once a year sort of annual um, bit of feedback to the school. Here's the kinds of things that we did and, and whatever. Uh, whereas um, for other for other homeschooling kids, you know, there's uh, it, it can be more rigorous than that. That there's weekly checkups, or or sometimes they are um, in this physically in the school, and some days they're they're physically out of it. But everybody has to be registered in a school. But beyond that, um, the way that these quote unquote schools operate is to uh, again a, a full spectrum of of you know, being formally in a classroom or you know, a once a year sort of, here, you know, here's a rundown of the kinds of things we, we did that year. Right. So you ground your um, ideas of unschooling in the theories of anarchy. What is anarchy? Yeah, well, the theory of, of anarchism, anar anarchy and anarchism, I guess, are are two sort of different things, anarchism being the, the philosophy of, of, of anarchy, I suppose, but, um, and the actual practice therein. Uh, so, I mean, anarchism is, uh, is a, a word that scares a lot of people, and, um, you know, there's been a lot of mud slung at, at the term from the mainstream media and, and whatnot for a very long time, but uh, anarchism means for most people probably the exact opposite of what they actually think it means so the the cartoon version of anarchism that's that's peddled in you know mainstream news and uh, other media outlets is this idea of chaos and violence and, and that sort of thing but that actually has nothing to do with anarchism as a as a political philosophy or anarchism as an actual everyday practice um, instead what anarchism means and i mean if you don't like the the word anarchism i would say you don't even have to use it because what it actually means is just an idea of mutual aid and cooperation and voluntary association reciprocity uh, self-management so the kinds of things um, that most people if you if you couch it in those sorts of terms will just nod their head to right because these are the kinds of things that we all actually practice on a an everyday sort of basis that um, there's there's no one among us who isn't actively engaged in anarchism in some way or another right we come from families we have friends so we're necessarily engaging in in mutual aid of some of some sort um, and that's kind of what sits at the core of, of anarchist thought is just the idea that uh, practices of mutual aid and cooperation, that this is how societies should be oriented, right? Rather than in the competitive sense of capitalism or the hierarchical sense of the state, uh, that we can organize our, that we can organize for ourselves by ourselves, that we don't need uh, particular forms of authority to 
actually compel us to do things that we're quite capable of getting on with things without without formal authority so um, anarchism if we look at the etymology of the word I mean anarchy and meaning against and archy just particular uh, archy just means systems of rule so examples are hierarchy or uh, monarchy or patriarchy that we can do without these particular systems of rule and um, effectively uh, you know rule n not necessarily rule ourselves but do without do without rulers right uh, so anarchists still engage with ideas of rules that there are there are forms of conduct that we agree to right but it's rules without rulers your critique of schooling through anarchism leads you to the idea of unschooling could could it also be could you also get to the same place by using a uh, the by using Marxism as a critique of schooling. Uh, well, I mean, I'm a hard person to ask because I'm not a Marxist. So, uh, you know, I don't uh, the version of schooling that that Marxists might envision. That yeah, I mean, there are some parallels between between Marxism and and anarchism, obviously, but. Um, I suppose you you could arrive at the the same sort of choice, but I think for I mean I think for even for some anarchists that they haven't necessarily thought through um, the possibilities of unschooling per se. That uh, including in the literature, I mean in the in the my chapter in the book, uh, the radicalization of Ped pedagogy. Um, my chapter is sort of critiquing the even the historical anarchist thought that. Uh, continued to perpetuate the idea of school being um, uh, a necessary function, if you will. Uh, and so anarchists, I mean, they have in the past thought about the idea of free schools, and I have no real problem with that. I think that, you know, there's a, a range of, of opportunities and, and educational perspectives and, and forms that we can take up. And for my family, you know, thinking... Uh, just what was going to work best for us. It was the, the process of unschooling. And so I don't necessarily think it's going to work for everybody on, on planet Earth. I mean, there's a geography to that, certainly, that uh, we're located here in British Columbia where it is possible to do that sort of thing, where we have a, a community around us who allows us to engage in that kind of cooperation and the mutual aid that I was talking about. But in other contexts, like a lot of my... My research, as you know, is in Cambodia, and for um, you know uh, to suggest the idea that unschooling would be the proper sort of protocol or process for a, a rural Cambodian family to take up, I think is pretty problematic. That uh, it's not something that uh, would necessarily um, resonate with their with their perspective on. Um, uh, what they might like to see for their children, but uh, also, it, you know, it, it might just not be a possibility within their everyday lives if both, particularly if both uh, parents are involved in wage labor. So, and that holds true here for, for Canada as well. I mean, there's a, a certainly a particular privilege that comes with being able to, hum, to uh, unschool um, that I, you know, I make enough money at my job that w we can get by on a single income. Um, so in some sense, it's a sacrifice that my partner has made, or at least it's a sacrifice for more income that my family has made. But for my partner, this is, you know, 
being at home with the kids is where she actually wants to be. For her, it's the most emancipatory space that she could find herself in because she's not uh, subject to to having a boss or the oversight of someone else. But uh, as for Marxist perspectives on, on homeschooling and unschooling, I don't know. I guess you'd, you'd have to ask them of, of how they would uh, see this fitting into their worldviews. So in, in your chapter, you, um, you connect the work of Paulo Freire and Ivan Illich to um, anarchism. And those two names are, are pretty well read in schools of education. But um, at least for my, when I went to school and did my master's degree and my PhD, they're very rarely connected to anarchism. So how do you see the connection between Paulo Freire and his pedagogy of the oppressed and Ivan Illich and his notion of de-schooling really connected to um, the philosophy of anarchism? Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the, the idea of anarchism itself, right? That it's... Um... I mean, for me, fun fundamentally, anarchism isn't a, uh, you know, it isn't a fixed ideology or it's not, uh, it's not something that's ever set in stone, that anarchism is really more just uh, an expression of an attitude, right? And that attitude is found in the work of, um, of Illich and uh, Ferry. Um, so, I mean... Did they use the word anarchism? I'm not sure that they ever did use that word, but you know, the spirit of these ideas was nonetheless resonating within their work, right? Um, and so at the same time, I mean, anarchism as a word, some people don't like it. And as I've said, that's fine. You, you don't have to like it. You don't have to use it. Um, I use it because um, you know, it, it's essentially a placeholder, if you will, for a set of ideas that that really resonate with me, so ideas of cooperation, ideas of mutual aid, ideas of of um, self management and voluntary association, and these sorts of things, and that critique of hierarchy that uh, that comes within anarchism, and the critique of authority, and certainly that's at the basis of of uh, the perspectives of. Um, Ferry and, and Illich that they're fundamentally um, questioning the kinds of uh, the systems of hierarchy and the systems of authority that are embedded within the institution of, of schooling and uh, within you know certain ideas of education. So that's the connection for me. When your children get older, do you envision sending them to school, or do you think the de-schooling and unschooling will be able to exist for their whole secondary education. Yeah, I mean for I mean ideally for me, I mean I would hope that they would want to choose the unschooling path, but um, we're open with our kids if they uh, if they ever want to choose schooling and give it a try, they're more than welcome to, right? That it's not uh, for me necessarily to decide that you can't do this. If it's something that they want to explore, then certainly we'll give that option to them. And so we have uh, some friends in our in our homeschooling unschooling group here in Victoria, where their oldest daughter, I think she's thirteen or fourteen now, and she decided that she wanted to give school a try, and she did it for about a year, and then decided that she didn't want to to be in formal school anymore. So they gave her that opportunity, and she explored it for herself, and found that she um, liked being, you know. Uh, outside of the outside of that context more than being inside of it so the same thing with my kids I mean I have my 
I, I, you know, I have my certain ideals, but I also don't want to necessarily force that upon my kids that, um, so I'm quite open to the, to the idea that if they want to, if they want to go and try school, they can certainly go and give it a try. And I think, I mean, I think what they, you know, if I'm, if I'm to project forward, I think they'd find the same thing that they, they might enjoy it for a time, but then they would probably want to go back to exploring for themselves. And I mean, this is the uh, effectively within, you know, the limits of, of what I can do within the university setting. This is the pedagogy that I take for my own students, right? That we, we have fixed classroom time, but I like to give as much space for uh, free exploration of ideas uh, as possible um, within that institutional context. So, um, yeah, and and I mean, for example, I teach a course called Activism and Community-Based Planning, and kind of my role in that class is to is to sit back and effectively just be a cheerleader for the ideas of students. So all I really ask of them is to go out into the community and create positive mischief of some sort, right? To get involved in some kind of direct action, activist kind of project, whether that's to link themselves up with an existing organization or to build something from the ground up as a, you know, a unique uh, individual grassroots project. But uh, so they collaborate in groups and they go about... Uh, these various projects. I give them a whole list of ideas that I think they could potentially explore and students inevitably come up with much greater ideas than, I, than I've provided in the list and they just get out there and, and just do it, right? And I sit back and they, you know, we have weekly sessions where they come and ask me questions and mostly I just say, yeah, why don't you try that? Go for that. That sounds like a really good idea. You should explore that option, right? So it's a lot of uh, just free flow and the same with the assessment as well I ask them to do um, uh, well they have a, a sort of group presentation at the end but I ask them also to keep an activist journal and they ask me about what the journal should look like and I tell them whatever you want the journal to look like right and so some students do that a traditional sort of written journal where there's weekly entries but I've had students you know do blogs I've had students uh, one student in particular I remember he really loved his guitar and he wrote uh, uh, a bunch of songs and recorded them on, uh, he gave me a CD at the end of the year of, and, a, and uh, a little workbook with lyrics in it to the songs that he wrote reflecting on his experience of this, of this course. And that to me was, you know, totally fair game for him to express himself in that way. So some students get a little bit nervous about that openness, but I think by the end of the the course, there's a lot of buy-in to this idea of, of being able to explore for themselves. Well, Simon Springer, thank you very much for joining Fresh Ed. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Simon Springer is an associate professor in the Department of Geography at the University of Victoria, Canada. His latest co-edited book is The Radicalization of Pedagogy, Anarchism, Geography, and the Spirit of Revolt. Next week, I speak with Leon Tickley about education for all as a global regime of educational governance. Fresh Ed is brought to you by the Globalization and Education Special Interest Group of the Comparative and International Education Society. You can subscribe to Fresh Ed on iTunes and follow the show on Twitter using the handle at Fresh Ed Podcast. The opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed not CIES or the Globalization and Education SIG 
which take no institutional positions. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and see you next week.